The goal in life as Christian people, spiritually speaking, is to finish strong. Not to quit beforehand or to mess up beforehand. You know, the pathway throughout the Scriptures is littered with these casualties of people who started out great, and then they messed up along the way. And the Bible tells us about them because the Bible tells the truth. And as we study the Scriptures, there's a very small remnant, the elite group, if I could call them that, who actually come through unscathed, but not many. How will we fare when this thing is over? Will we still be found faithful? So Paul finished strong. How can we finish strong? That's the question. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the epistle to the Ephesians and the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. Well, we've been a half a year in this book, and it's been a great ride, and I've come to a greater appreciation of this epistle to the Ephesians, but all good things must come to an end, and we are going to finish this epistle today. By way of background... It was about 62 A.D., and Paul had been incarcerated in Rome. He's uh, under in-house arrest, and he is uh, with a Roman soldier at all times. While he's there, he writes four in all of the epistles that we have today, and so I'm thankful for that incarceration. And he wrote this one. And it's just been a a wealth of, of stuff, if you will, for us to just look at verse by verse and word by word and line upon line and precept upon precept. But we're going to talk today about how to finish strong. Because having said everything that Paul has said, he's going to finish strong in these last few verses. We pick it up in verse number 19. He's he's speaking of praying for various things. He says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, But that you may also know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. We're going to talk today about a strong finish, how to finish strong as Christian people. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before Thee. We ask You to give to us open and receptive hearts and ears. Help us to listen to this truth. Help us to be found faithful when it's all said and done. Father, help us to finish strong. We pray now for that help, that grace, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you here have run a marathon before? Let's see your hands. Oh, quite a few of you. A marathon is 26 miles. And if you've ever run a marathon, you know it's easy to start out strong. Even at midpoint, feel like you've got all this energy and you're just going to really kick it down. But boy, at the end there, when you're running out of gas, it can be panic time. And many a person who's run a marathon has started strong and, and come on too strong throughout and then lost it at the end. 
and they've petered out. The goal in life as Christian people, spiritually speaking, is to finish strong. Not to quit beforehand or to mess up beforehand. That's a rarity as we study the Scriptures. In fact, there are not too many characters in the Bible that started strong and finished strong. I mean, the very first human, Adam, we know what happened along the way there. We know about Noah. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but what about that incident that marred his unblemished record otherwise? And then Abraham. Abraham lived a good life, but he, he lapsed in faith and made a mistake. We could read about his grandson, Jacob, who really messed up in many ways. You know, the Bible reads like who's who when it comes to men like Aaron and the golden calf, or Gideon and that idol he made, or Samson in, in, in his carnal ways. And then, of course, there's King Saul. Started out so well, didn't he? But he blew it before he hit the finish line. And David, a man after God's own heart, there's a lot of preaching there. You could look at a lot of the kings, a great number of them, and they started out good, but they... They messed up along the way. And you can get over to the New Testament and you can read about Demas in one place and he's a great advocate and an assistant of Paul, but then he forsakes the work of the Lord for the world. You know, the pathway throughout the Scriptures is littered with these casualties of people who started out great and then they messed up along the way. And the Bible tells us about them because the Bible tells the truth. Uh, whether it's good or bad, it's going to lay it out for us. And so we know these stories, and we know human nature, and we know even us in the 21st century, and, and Christians even living at this time. A number who we've already seen go the way of Aaron, or go the way of Samson, or go the way of Gideon. And we shake our heads at those stories. It's sad, but it's, it's many, sadly. And as we study the Scriptures, there's, there's a very... Small remnant, the elite group, if I could call them that, who actually come through unscathed, but not many. Men like Joseph. Boy, what a testimony. Men like, um, well, like uh, Job. Or men perhaps like uh, Caleb, who was strong right up until the end. Or Enoch, who walked with God and God took him. Or, or Daniel. Hard to find anything wrong there. They all finished strong. And of course, we've been studying the life of Paul here. And we know that Paul finished strong. He finished what he started. Around 60 AD, Paul made this statement, Philippians 3.14. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he did? He set a mark. He set a goal. And he said, I'm pressing toward that mark. I'm pressing toward that goal. He made a decision. Every single one of us need to do that. We need to make a decision to press toward this mark and to finish strong. And some books of the Bible later, he added in Philemon 1.9, that uh, speaking of himself, he said, being such in one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. As he went through his life, obviously he aged like all of us are aging. And he gets down to the place where he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he was incarcerated. And he also calls himself Paul the Aged. We're all getting older. How will we fare when this thing is over? Will we still be found faithful? This last week I got some good news about a missionary that we've supported for years by the name of Milton Martin. Milton Martin uh, went to Mexico like 50 years ago and, and God used him to directly or indirectly start over 300 good churches down in the state of Chiapas in southern Mexico. There was a time when Milton Martin was here preaching, and uh, 
I guessed his age, and I shouldn't have. And I guessed him way older than he was. <laughs> not very flattering. And he said, well, brother, you need to realize something. He said, it's not the years as much as the miles. You know, here's a man who has uh, eaten the food and, and drank the water down there where they say, don't drink the water. He's bathed in the muddy rivers. He's, he's had the sleepless nights, the long days, and it's put a lot of miles on him. But he's stayed faithful all these years. Well, Paul had plenty of miles on him. When Paul writes this, he's probably only about 60 years of age, but you need to understand something. That was a pretty decent life for back in those days. And he had tons of mileage on him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, here's his resume. He speaks of labors more abundant. He says in stripes above measure, he's talking about what he's gone through, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. He says of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save or less one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings or waiting often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and the list goes on and on and on. I don't think anyone here suffered as much as the Apostle Paul suffered. Maybe you're a, a, a veteran of war or you were in the jungles of Vietnam and, and you've known the mud and the swamps and the humidity and the mosquitoes and the heat and, and the nastiness of, of the, the people being killed and blown apart and all that. But here we find Paul. And you name it, he had gone through it. And yet Paul's wobbling along and, and still finishing the course. And by the time he writes his last epistle... In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Here's Paul still plugging along. Here's Paul still writing epistles. Here's Paul still mentoring men like Timothy and Titus and others and trying to be a blessing. And he finished strong. No question about that. The only question is, what about us now? It's the 21st century. It's our turn. And are we going to finish this thing strong? Are we going to sustain a, a godly pace? Are we going to finish what we've started and honor God, honor our Creator who, who died for us? Are we going to stay spiritually disciplined? Are we going to keep from letting down the Savior who suffered and bled and died? Or are we going to, are we going to squander His sacrifice? So Paul finished strong. How can we finish strong? That's the question. Well, let's see what he mentioned here. As we read this passage here, we see, first of all, what, what he mentioned, and it's what I call a fearless boldness. If we're going to finish strong, we need a fearless boldness. Notice in verse number 19, he's mentioning stuff to pray for. He says, and for me. <laughs> I like that. Pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul wasn't shy about asking for prayer, and he shouldn't have been. I mean, what's he asking for here? Is he asking for a new Lamborghini, or, or is he asking for a house on the Riviera, or, or is he asking for a filet mignon for lunch? Is he asking for a lot of money and a fat bank account? No, he's not asking for any of that. 
In fact, Paul was incarcerated. He, he could have even said, pray for me that I'd get out of this stinking place. He could have had a bad attitude about it. He's, he's stuck with this Roman soldier for two years. He doesn't even ask him to pray for his freedom. You know, we might have looked at that and said, this is a huge injustice. I shouldn't be in here. Why do I have to put up with this? Pray that I'd get out of here. But Paul didn't pray. He didn't ask prayer for any of that. Paul saw a greater need, didn't he? You know what he asked those people at Ephesus to pray for? He said, pray for me, that I would be bold to witness. His burden was where it always was, with the unsaved, with the lost. In fact, he commonly would ask for boldness to witness. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, he said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. The word of God might have free course. You've got to understand that the Roman Empire at that time was kind of a closed empire to the gospel. They kind of had to uh, fly under the radar and, and, and get the gospel out. So he said, pray that the gospel would have free course. Paul's focus was on reaching lost people, having a boldness to witness. By the way, that is the focus of Fargo Baptist Church. If you've been here any length of time, you know that our focus is to reach out to unsaved people, to those who don't know Christ. And we'll use the radio station to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll use uh, 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 the campus ministry to do that. We'll use our Bible college here to train the next generation. We'll use Reformers Unanimous to do that. We'll reach out through the faith for life. Uh, there's a number of ways that we do that through bus and other ministries. Why do we do that? Why is that important? Well, if I understand this Bible and I understand the description it gives to us of hell, hell is a horrible place. Somebody who dies without Christ, having never been born again, having never received Christ as their Savior, will be in hell throughout all eternity. Well, what the Bible calls the lake of fire, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness and suffering. And the worst thing about it is it never ends. Hell is a horrible place. The stakes are huge. Really, what we're doing here, folks, is so important. It really makes what's going on in Hollywood seem silly and what's going on in the world of sports uh, piddly. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm for sports. I'm, I'm, I'm for watching the, the, the news and knowing what's going on politically in this world. But all of that dwarfs in comparison to seeing what God wants us to do as far as reaching lost people. We live in a world that is Christless. We live in a nation that is Christless and that is clueless. And so Paul asks of all things, pray for me that I would be fearless. Pray for me that I would be bold. Notice he says in verse 19, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I, I read twice there, where he mentions boldly. He wanted a holy boldness. We need a holy boldness as 21st century Christians. It's something the apostles needed in the first century as well, by the way. You know, they were threatened in the book of Acts to stop preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, we can't. We can't. And so after they were roughed up a little bit in Acts 4.29, they prayed and they said, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They prayed for boldness, didn't they? You know, apparently they were like us. Apparently they had feet of clay like, like we do. You say, well, but pastor, this, this is Paul. Come on. Paul didn't need boldness. Paul was bold. Paul witnessed to everybody. No, Paul had his issues like we have our issues. We read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, 
He says to those people, I was determined not to know anything among you, save or except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in, notice, much trembling. Here's the Apostle Paul. Say what? Weakness? Fear? Trembling? Paul? Yeah, Paul. Paul had his issues like we have our issues. He had just been to Athens, by the way, before this. And there he'd encountered the, uh, the upper echelon, the intelligentsia, the, the eggheads of Areopagus. And, and he had he'd gotten whipped, if you will, and, and kind of uh, been roughed up and left with the tail between his legs. And so he moves about 50, 60 miles west over to a town called Corinth, which was even a rougher town. And now he's walking the streets of Corinth and he has doubts. And he had fears. And we even read in first, uh, I think it's, uh, no, Acts 18, that there at Corinth, Christ had to make a special appearance to him and say, Paul, don't hold your peace here. If you're thinking of choking up, don't do it. Uh, speak freely. There's much people here. You know, we, we get the weird idea that Paul was bulletproof or something. But he was as human as we are. In fact, we read in one place where it got so hard and so rough, he even despaired of his life. If you can imagine that. So he asks here in Ephesians 6 for boldness. Anything wrong with that? I think we ought to pray for boldness. I think we need boldness to witness. If ever there's been a time we need it, it's in the 21st century. By the way, be bold, but don't be obnoxious. Be bold, but don't be abrasive. Be bold in, in your witness, but don't be offensive. All right? Plain and simple. Why don't we witness? Why don't we witness? Well, the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. You know what that's talking about? The fear of man. What are they going to think of me if I, if I talk to them about God? I, I mean, it's not even Sunday. It's, it's Tuesday. I'm, I'm at work or I'm on break or whatever. What are they going to think of me? What are they going to think? Well, most of the time they're not thinking. They're not really thinking of eternity. They're not thinking of the hereafter. That's the problem. They're not thinking. But bigger question than that is, what will they think of us in eternity if they miss heaven? And they know we knew the Lord. They know at that time we had the truth, but we didn't tell them about it. What are they going to think of us then? You say, but, 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 but my, my reputation. You know, this world is too image-oriented, and it can rub off on God's people, can it? And we can get to where we worry about our, our image, what they're going to think of us. We need some boldness. We need some holy boldness. There's so little boldness today. There's very little boldness, by the way, when it comes to preaching. There's very little boldness when it comes to pulpits. And, and you can get a lot of sermons in a lot of places that are easy and, and uh, cushy and, and uh, never mention sin. In fact, there are very few pulpits today left that mention sin and the seriousness of sin. The Bible says in Isaiah 58, 1, God says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression. You know, I would not be part of a church that did not mention the seriousness of sin because before we can see our need of Christ, we need to see what sin is and our sinfulness, plain and simple. And I wouldn't be part of a church that didn't love people enough to preach on sin. Well, Paul asked for some boldness. We see, first of all, if he's going to finish strong, he needs this, this fearless boldness. Secondly, he needs some faithful brethren. He mentions them. And by the way, these brethren 
have accompanied Paul for years and been an encouragement to him and an inspiration to him. And, and there are people in this church, you'll just never know in this life the encouragement you are to me, the inspiration you are to me. You just go about being faithful and doing your own thing. You have no idea. Well, Paul mentions here in verse 21, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. What a name, Tychicus, Tychicus. Let's say it together, Tychicus. Kind of tickles when you say it, doesn't it? Tychicus. He was kind of a, we'd call him a preacher boy of the Apostle Paul. He's the the one who delivered this epistle. Paul wrote this letter under house arrest, and he, he rolled it up as a scroll, And he gave it to Tychicus. Tychicus is the one who traveled hundreds of miles and uh, from Rome, where Paul was writing it, back to Ephesus and gave it to this this church here. In fact, if your Bible's like mine, look at the very end of the last verse. My Bible says, written from Rome unto the Ephesians by Tychicus. You know what that means? It means that Tychicus delivered this thing. Tychicus is mentioned in other places, few other places in the Scriptures. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, And Tychicus, have I sent to Ephesus? He mentions this very incident. I sent, as he writes to Timothy, now a, a young pastor, he said, I sent Tychicus over there to Ephesus. I'm so glad he did, by the way. Tychicus never had an epistle named after him like Timothy or, or Titus or Philemon or others like that. But he was somebody that Paul could trust. He was part of the faithful brethren. In fact, notice again in verse 22, he speaks of Tychicus and he says, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Notice he said, I sent him. I sent him. I'm glad he did. The very fact we have the book of Ephesians today within the Bible, something inspired of God, is because Tychicus was faithful. He completed his mission. He was dependable. He came through. And here in in verse number 22, Paul refers to him as faithful. Actually, verse 21, a faithful minister. That has to be about the highest compliment you could give a Christian. Not that he's intelligent. You know, the world puts a premium on intelligence. Oh, they're so smart. God puts a premium on faithfulness. The world puts a premium on looks. Oh, she's beautiful or he's handsome. But God puts the premium on faithfulness. The world talks about athleticism. The world talks about success. The world talks about wage earning power. God talks about faithfulness. The world looks at eloquence. God looks at faithfulness. Anybody can be faithful. You might not have any of those other qualities, any of those other attributes, but God puts a premium on faithfulness. Our Savior mentioned this in Matthew 24, 45. He said, who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who is that faithful and wise servant? My wife and I were talking recently, and and, uh, we were speaking of the day and age in, in which we live. It's a day and age where very few Christians are sold out. We live in a day of, of, of uh, Christian clock watchers, for the most part. And, and you find very few who don't have a, a hireling mentality, who just do the minimum, who, who kind of have the attitude, what's in it for me? It's sad, but uh, there are very few that go the extra mile. And, and do it without you know, any recognition, any kudos, any acclamation. Are we willing to be faithful 
you know, Jesus Christ was faithful, and he asked, who then is a faithful and wise servant? Where are those Christians who will be sold out for Christ? Where are the Christians today who will do the minimum? And and that's coming to church. There's many of them that skip church. Where are the Christians who will serve and and who will share their faith and who will give and and who will be faithful in these areas? In Colossians 4.7, Paul said this, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Notice he's faithful. He is a fellow servant. By the way, there's hardly any greater bond than that of a fellow servant. And it's talking about Christian people. It's talking about serving together with other Christian people. Paul actually surrounded himself with these fellow servants. Do you know there's somewhere between, I think, 35 and 45 of these fellow servants mentioned in the Bible? In fact, in one verse, in Acts 20 and verse 4, the Bible says there accompanied him, Paul, unto Asia, uh, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. You know, there's, there's all kinds of fellow servants, faithful brethren. And, and Paul finished strong, I believe, because he surrounded himself with these kind of people, and there was a bond between them. You know, we, uh, we've had a lot of fun over the years, over the decades now, and in building projects around here. And, and we're in another one, as you can see, across the parking lot. And, 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 and serving the Lord together like that really cultivates a closeness. You get to do something for God together. And there's this fellowship of the fellow servants. We need those faithful brethren. You know, last week at the 930 hour, we were studying the life of, of David and, and how he had this friendship with Jonathan. I pointed out to my class that, that David's friends were godly men, men like Jonathan. And, and, and the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. And those two men just sharpened each other. I hope your friends, if you're a Christian, I hope the bulk of your friends and the place where you feel comfortable is around Christian people and around the faithful brethren. And you, you hang around those kind of people. I know it's unavoidable. You get out with the other kind. But, but who is your circle of friends for the most part? Is it the faithful brethren? Or is it folks who are living godless lives and, and people who have potty mouths and drag you down and, and, and pull you through the, the worldly crud? You know, I don't spend a whole lot of time around what I, I would call godless people. But when I do, and I love them just like I love God's people, but when I do, I never forget that they're the mission field. Do we remember that when we're around unsaved people? This is the mission field, and we have a responsibility to reach them, to care enough, to, to love them enough to reach out to them. But may I just say to you, my best friends and most of my friends love the Lord. I surround myself uh, with people like that. I want to finish strong. If you're going to finish strong, you need some faithful brethren like that. And, and not just your clique. You, you say, well, i got my little circle of friends. Expand it. Broaden it. Reach out to some new people and bring them into your circle. and Be a blessing to them. Paul finished strong. And it was because he asked for this fearless boldness. Secondly, he surrounded himself with faithful brethren. But there's one more thing here that we find in this passage, and that is what I call a final benediction. Paul makes it in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, nearly all of Paul's epistles open with, you know, grace and peace, and, and they end with grace and peace. And he mentions in verse 23, peace be to the brethren. Peace to the brethren. God help us to have peace amongst the brethren here, amongst the Fargo Baptist Church. You know, we can see that the world lacks peace. The world wants peace perhaps more than anything it has at the least. And, and what, what the world doesn't realize is peace comes from the peace giver, and that is God. It's part of the package. The peace in the heart of a child of God comes from knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior and, and being saved. For nearly 21 years of my life, I didn't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I did not have that peace. But there's no other way to get it than to trust Christ as, as our Savior. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. In other words, the world has a pseudo-peace. Well, they talk a lot about peace, but they're not connected to God. You cannot have peace without God. If you don't know why you're here, where you came from, where you go when you die... Your life is shrouded in, in mystery and, and uh, you just kind of uh, bounce to and fro. And, and the world talks about this peace, but it's a plastic peace. It's a bogus peace. It is a counterfeit, an artificial peace. The, the devil offers that, a lot of tinsel, a lot of talk of peace, and, and the, they write songs about peace, they make movies about peace, but they don't know peace. Peace comes from the peace giver. Notice in verse 23 again, he says, Peace uh, be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the dynamic duo. Love with faith. And they're mentioned together a number of times in the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul said, Your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity or love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. You know, I'm convinced, folks, that a, a genuine love involves faith, a, a, a spiritual life. And again, the world sings songs about love and, and they make movies about love and, and to them it's the warm fuzzies and so on. But when it comes to love, you've got to be plugged into the source. And God is the source. Love is connected to faith. In fact, Galatians 5 verse 6 speaks of a faith which worketh by love. A faith which worketh by love. Real love is unselfish. Real love is, is sacrificial. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Now, in the 21st century, we're not called upon to die for our faith, but at least we could live for our faith and we could live for the Lord. And we are to be found faithful. How can we finish strong? Will we finish strong. You know, currently you might be doing well. I told my wife the other day, I feel like I'm clicking along at, at 100 miles an hour and I'm clicking on all cylinders and so on, but that's no guarantee I'll be found faithful in the end of this thing. That is no guarantee that you'll be found faithful. But people are watching us. Our kids need to see us as faithful. The, the fellow brethren need to see us as faithful. The lost certainly need to see us as faithful. We have a decision to make. Are we going to see this thing through? Are we going to be found faithful? You know, there are some elderly saints here, and I thank God for you. You've been faithful for years. You're getting up there in years now. The hair is turning white or turning loose. And as you age, let me just say this. Don't quit on God. 
Don't quit on God. And in fact, get a goal of, of mentoring those who are younger than you. Mentoring those who are coming up the ranks. Being a part of their lives. Well, we come down to the last verse. After 154 verses, and we've looked at every one of them over the past half a year. We've looked at them verse by verse. We've looked at them word by word. We come down to this final verse, verse 24. Paul ends it and he says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. I don't know if you noticed it, but Paul started out this epistle mentioning grace and peace. And now he ends it mentioning peace and grace. Kind of like mirrors or bookends flipped around. And he puts this epistle in the middle of all that. You know, it's amazing that Paul mentions grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ and peace be to the brethren and, and uh, faithfulness and, and fellow servants. Here's a guy who's in jail. He could have been pouting about that. He could have had an attitude about that. He could have been uh, feeling sorry for himself and being a, a drama queen and asking for sympathy. But no, he's, he's incarcerated, but he's, he is whistling still while he is witnessing, if you will, and asking for boldness to keep on going and accepting uh, what God was putting him through at that time. Now, he mentions in verse 24, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God wants, by the way, is our love. That's, that's the main thing he wants, our love. That is what Jesus asked Peter after Peter had denied the Lord three times and Christ resurrects from the dead. He asks him later on, Peter, do you love me? Three times, no less. Peter couldn't honestly say, I, I, I love you, Lord. He kept saying, I, I like you. He used a different word altogether. But do we love God? That is the question that this epistle ends with. Do we love the Lord? That is the greatest commandment, by the way. There was someone who came to Christ and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That is the great commandment. Now, Paul ends it in verse 24. He says, Grace be with all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Notice the insincerity there. If we are going to finish strong, we have to be sincere. And we have to have a sincere love for the Lord. Why do you serve the Lord? There's a lot of motivators. You know, there was a time when, when uh, I would preach a lot about, uh, you know, if you love God, you'll do this, or if, if you're faithful, you'll do that. But honestly, I, I don't want to use coercion. In fact, I will admit, in the early days of this church, um, that's what I did. That's what I learned. That, that was what was in vogue, honestly, in, in those days in our camp. You know, serve by shaming. And, and uh, you can do that, but you can only go on guilt for so long until you finally go, I can't go anymore. If we are not motivated by love, forget it. We read in 2 Corinthians 8.8 8, to prove the sincerity of your love. And so Paul says in verse 24, Grace be with all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And then he adds, Amen. Now, let me just give you a thought here in closing. I can teach the truths from this passage. I can teach the truths from this epistle. They can be life-changing if we'll apply them. But nobody can apply them except you. I can only encourage you to do it. I can't make you love God. There was a preacher who is with the Lord now. He stood in this pulpit years ago, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you can be as good a Christian as you want to be. 
Now, that doesn't sound real profound on the surface, but if you just meditate on it a little bit, you can be as good a Christian as you want to be. Obviously, we have three things working against us, ourselves, the flesh. We have the world working against us. Men love darkness rather than light. And, of course, we have an enemy, and we talked about him a few weeks ago, Satan. And so we could so easily compromise. We could so easily capitulate. And, and churches do. Churches, in time, grow cold, and they die. It's, it's a fate that no church has escaped. Think about it. I preached a funeral this last week. It was out of town. It was a number of miles from here. But I gave the gospel knowing there were a lot of unsaved people there and knowing that with most of them it probably wouldn't go over too well. But I, I never do a funeral without somebody afterwards coming up who's in that crowd, that sea of faces, who actually is born again. And they shake my hand and they have something to say. Oh boy, I appreciated that. I preached this last week and somebody came up to me and looked this way and looked that way, shook my hand and said, it's a long time since the walls of this church have heard that kind of message. And I thought to myself, that's sad. He added, that's sad. But it's true. It's true. The gospel is not being preached too much in most churches. And it could happen to this church. Did it happen to the church at Ephesus? Here's a sad reality. Let's fast forward about 33 years up to 95 A.D. This epistle was written in 62 A.D. Let's move forward a little more in three decades. And let's look at what Jesus Christ had to say to this church in Revelation 2.4. As he talks to this, this church in Ephesus, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. If you understand the talk Christ is using here, the candlestick and all that, he's talking about the time when that church would cease to be a genuine New Testament church. It came. That day came. In fact, it was that church at Ephesus around 400 A.D. that is credited with starting the church of Rome and and Mariolatry, and, and a number of the, uh, the unscriptural practices that are practiced yet to this day. Ephesus, of all things. You know, you can go to uh, southwest Turkey today, and, and you can walk amongst the ruins of ancient Ephesus, and you can find the spot where they say there was a church there, a genuine church like in the Bible. How sad. Here's a church that was started by Paul. Here's a church that was nurtured by Timothy, even pastored by John. And by 95 A.D., Christ said, you're on life support spiritually. Repent. Do the first works. Finish strong. Finish strong. Maybe today you sit here and I stand here and we started out strong. And, uh, and maybe we're going strong now. Thank God for that. But there's something very important. And it's this question, will we finish strong? God help us to have a strong finish. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 
3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.